Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us. Uh, You've actually picked a very exciting episode to join us if this is your first time listening, because we are now bringing back in our host, Dr. Tom Woodward, from the other side of the universe. Uh, Dr. Woodward, you've been on a a study sabbatical for quite a little while, and and how did that go? We're so excited to have you back here. Yes, I feel like that explorer, you know, know, special probe that uh, I think NASA sent out to to the outer rim of our solar system and came back. I, actually, I don't know if it came back, at least it sent <laughs> images and data back. But yeah, so I'm, I'm back from my crazy voyage across the universe. And the universe next door has, no, has now been uh, thoroughly studied and analyzed. And, and we can see that it all points to Christ after all. In case you were wondering, you know, Nick and, and everybody listening, you know, it's an, it's an overwhelming like tsunami of evidence. I've, I've been actually uh, doing some, some interesting work. It's been fun. Well, I can't wait to hear some of that. I know, to my understanding, you spent some time in the Old Testament. Is that is that yeah. accurate? Yes. They, uh, so what I've been doing uh, for a good chunk of the last oh, seven, about actually closer to 12 or 15 weeks, is going back to my prior study of the Old Testament, which began, of course, uh, at Princeton uh, when I was uh, under the tutelage of Dr. Uh, Fullerton, Donald Fullerton, one of the premier uh, campus ministry guys of our generation. And then when I became a, a follower of Christ, my sophomore year, and it continued at Dallas Seminary. And I just grew to love the Old Testament as a powerful pointer to the truth of the Christian message. I mean, sometimes we, we love to talk about, and it's very appropriate, we lead in with the evidence for Christ through the resurrection, the evidence for Christ through his divine claims, and how those claims cannot be harmonized with just a view of him as a, as a simple moral teacher. Because if he's messing up on who he is, that's pretty central. And so that's the, the C.S. Lewis argument. So that's all New, New Testament's powerful stuff, and it's great. And that should, in, in, in fact, be our, our cutting-edge lead-in uh, commentary or, or sharing of, of new evidence or classic evidence, I guess we could call it. And at the same time, there's a vast continent. There's a vast uh, amount, a whole in like a pyramid, uh, layer by layer of evidence that builds from Genesis all the way through Malachi, of evidence for the reality of the truth of Scripture and the truth of the Judeo-Christian message. And and what I really was finding out as I was kind of summarizing the whole Old Testament in 12 stages, uh, my colleague, uh, Joe Alata here, a a rising star professor at Trinity College. You may have met Joe Alata. Um, Yeah, I'm actually going to lunch with him today. Well, that's cool. Ironically. (laughs) They say, uh, tell him he owes me uh, his draft of chapter 12 here. And so, (laughs) yeah, I'm just just kidding. I think he's already turned it in. Uh, but, But he and I together are writing a book on the Old Testament. It's kind of wow. a it's kind of a lighthearted but deep in truth look at the Old Testament that has really kind of we're trying to break new ground and represent the whole Old Testament in a really weird, crazy, fun timeline. 
that's that's hyperactive. And this time, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I, that sounds really interesting. I can't I can't wait to read that personally. I, I think a lot of times um, it can slip people just just how important the Old Testament is, especially to the theology regarding Christ the Messiah and and how we even know he is who he says he is. We need the Old Testament. Um, oh. I was actually I, I was having a discussion with a, a Jewish man recently online kind of a debate type discussion. And he was saying uh, something along the lines of like, oh, you know, the, the Christians have thrown out the Hebrew Bible and they have their own. I was like, no, but we think the closer to the original Hebrew, Hebrew translation, the better. We're with you on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's so important. Yeah. And so the, the key thing about the Old Testament and how it, it comes to us in, in the Hebrew language is that this is a language that we now know quite well. We, we fleshed out the vocabulary and all the grammar constructions, and with the, with the assistance of hundreds and even thousands of, of Hebrew scholars through the ages, we're able to get down to a quite accurate understanding of the Hebrew text, and with these, uh, you know, the incredible discovery in 1947 and 48 of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know that the copying of those various books of the Old Testament are faithful, they're precise, they're meticulous, and the comparing of those copies of the Old Testament from, let's say, the ninth century all the way back to the second century BC, that's like 1,200 years almost, and mm -hmm. if you compare those two copies side by side, there's virtually no change, no errors have crept in, and yeah. so that, that's part of the, a fantastic discovery. Yeah, they're, they're so accurate and, and precise, and it's so, uh, I think it's so cool as a Christian to be able to point to places like Isaiah 53, for example, where we now have, I think it's 23 or 24 full copies of the scroll of Isaiah uh, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we can say, no, those messianic prophecies were in writing before Christ came. Nobody could have gone and changed them after uh, to suit what he did. Absolutely. And of course, Isaiah 53 is the tip of this shimmering gold, solid gold pyramid of Messianic prophecies. And what we do, Dr. Alada and I here at Trinity College of Florida, a little shout out to our, our college for bringing in a tremendous number of new students and fantastic new professors. I've never been so excited in all my 33 years at the college. But uh, what we're doing in, in our attempt here at Trinity and through this book we're writing is to share the exciting message of each of those segments, each of those timeline portions and all the books. We show how they plug in. We use either an arrow or a bracket and we say this, this book covers this part of the timeline. And the highlights are this story and we tell the story briefly. And then this king, we tell about that king and what God did through uh, that guy. And so as we work through the timeline, uh, we were a little bit uh, like, okay, how can we make this a special study of the Old Testament? That was our big question looming in front of us. And so we decided to get really wild and crazy. Are you ready for this? Are you braced? <laughs> yes. <laughs> every segment of the timeline, that is every section, every chapter, and it's not going to be that long of a book. Every chapter has its own, but is it true section, which delves, wow. it de goes deep into the apologetic slant apologetics dimension. So um, I'm excited about what's what God is doing. I mean, we're just basically trying to channel all this amazing amount of exciting information into this book. We're just, our nickname for it is Unlock the Tanakh. That's a, <laughs> wow, that's nice. That's a nickname. Tanakh, T-A-N-A-K-H is the nickname mm -hmm. for 
I should say a cult, the actual name that the Jewish scholars through the ages have given to the Old Testament. And we explain what Tanakh means and how they got that name. And it's kind of fun. But the Old Testament, it's a lighthearted, but still a deep truth you know, containing study of the Old Testament. I'm hoping that we can have it finished this fall here in the next month or two, and then we'll maybe pop out into, into actual publication in the spring. Wow. So you're expediting this book. Yeah. So if, if you could ask uh, our just uh, listening audience each week, let's remind me to just ask people to be in prayer for our Unlock the Tanakh uh, project and writing opportunity. But I thought for today, as I'm re-entering the orbit of the universe next door, and I'm here to stay, thank you, Jesus, um, I thought we could talk about breakthroughs because we've been living through a tough time. I mean, this is a really awful, in a way, uh, set of conditions that have arisen over the last two years, not only in the U.S., but across the world with the COVID pandemic. Now, we have several people that we have just lost who died uh, here in the Tampa Bay area, people we know personally, uh, who were just hit by the pandemic, just like blindsided. Uh, and, and it just occurred to me that when, when we get down and we, we get discouraged and we feel like things are just swamping us, let's look at the bigger wave. The biggest wave of all is God's love wave. God loves us with an infinite like, you know, three billion light year tall tsunami. Now that's a, that's a tidal wave that would, the, the earth is like a grain of sand in that tsunami, but that's mm -hmm. a tsunami of God's love. And you find that in, in Ephesians chapter three, where Paul says at the end of his uh, wonderful prayer, he says, you know, we are, are praying for you. He says for the Ephesians that you might know what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of God's love, and then to experience that love, to know it personally in your relationship with the living God. And so that's pretty exciting. And he says, basically, no one can measure this. This is a, a tsunami of love that no one can, you know, dimensionalize. You can't get your yardstick out. You can't even get your uh, astronomy measuring instruments, which measure things in parsecs. That's, I think, six light years and approximately a quadrillion miles. That's a lot of miles. And so um, as we see that we're, we're measuring this, are seeing this immeasurable tsunami of God's love, <clears throat> there is parallel with it developing in the modern world, a tsunami of God's evidence, of God's good reasons for considering the Christian faith as genuine, as true, as confirmed, uh, to consider it, or if you're a Christian, to, re to revel in it to rejoice in it, to throw a party, if you will, celebrating mm -hmm. God's awesome wealth of, you know, vast truthfulness that is just coming at us at, uh, you know, light speed from every direction. So I thought I could maybe start with two and then bring you in for one. I'll maybe try another two until we maybe are out of time. But can I share a couple, <laughs> a couple of these uh, breakthroughs? I think I'd like to just jump in. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, two quickies, and, and they both relate to a journal that has published in the last one year. This journal, which is a secular journal, it's called the Journal of Theoretical Biology, has published not one, but now two articles. Uh, so this is a peer-reviewed, and that's what a lot of people say, well, does intelligent design movement, uh, do the scholars of intelligent design ever publish in peer-reviewed journals? Because that was the criticism some years mm -hmm. back. 
that we who defend the creation of the universe in light of the new discoveries uh, of the last even few months, as long, uh, along with the last several decades. Uh, so we, we were, it was slim pickings, I'll say that. There were not that many journals, secular journals, that have this peer review system where other people, even people who are not your friends, have to cross-check and double-check and triple-check everything to see if your mm -hmm. scholarship meets their standards. So this peer-reviewed journal, Journal of Theoretical Biology, ran one article on the fine-tuning of the cosmos. One of the lead uh, professors at a uh, university in northern uh, stretches of Norway actually was the host of my speaking trip there four years ago. That was kind of fun. When I saw Steinar Thorvaldsen, is his name, when Dr. Thorvaldsen was able with his co-authors, three other authors, to produce the spectacular summary of the latest evidence for the fine-tuning of the universe. Well, that was such a shock that the journal was hit with just, talk about a tsunami, this was at least a wave of criticism. It was like, how dare you? How would you ever consider? These guys are known to have relationships with this horrible thing called intelligent design. In other words, the biased, the unthinking, uncritical, simply, I don't like them. They're not part of our group, that kind of thinking. The bias thinking was so strong and so shocking that the journal, basically, the leaders of the journal knew that they would have some pushback, but it was ferocious. So they just kind of pulled their heads down, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, like the, the whack-a-mole game, you know, where the mole pulls its head down, right? As you're yeah. <laughs> bring down the hammer and it hides from your, so that's what they did. They, they played the whack-a-mole game and they, they were able to avoid being destroyed, but they stuck their heads back up and... That, that had passed. And now just this last week, they published another article on this cell and the information production of a cell that defies a naturalistic, that is nature only view of having come into existence. And so if anybody wants to see what has happened, especially the newer breakthrough in the Journal of Theoretical Biology, my, my strong uh, direction or exhortation would be just go to Evolution News. Yeah, that's our favorite website to see news on the <laughs> intelligent design front is evolutionnews.org. And there's like a running news feed. They have like one or two articles typically every day. And if you look at the top, you'll see it at or very near the top. And you can see on the sidebar, next to that in the gray uh, shaded area, a whole series of headlines, um, you know, names of other articles. But if you go to, you know, the, the reference to the article in the Journal of Theoretical Biology supporting ID, I think we're seeing cracks in this vast, you know, as, as it were, glacier in this vast uh, iceberg of opposition against intelligent design. We're seeing cracks in their armor, which is pretty exciting. Oh, absolutely. So, so that's, that's breakthrough one and two. So uh, can you bring in breakthrough three for us? Yes, actually, I'm thinking of a ton of breakthroughs, but one of them is that Stephen Meyer uh, had published his book, The God Hypothesis. Uh, we know that. And yeah. we actually had Stephen Meyer on a few weeks ago, which was great. Yeah. And um, actually a breakthrough inside of that breakthrough, it's like a double breakthrough because now Jordan Peterson uh, the famed psychologist who most of us have probably heard of and who I think God has been using in a lot of incredible ways 
Uh, I would agree with Doug Wilson, who says he's he's dangerously close to becoming a Christian. Uh, you, can't, <laughs> you can't read the material that he's reading and espouse the things he's espousing without eventually coming to Christ. So I really hope that's the case. But um, Jordan Peterson, who has for a long time, for as long as I know, been an advocate of evolution, of Darwinism, has read uh, The Return of the God Hypothesis. And let me just read this quote here. Yeah, let, discover- let me, before you read the quote, let me just say that, that is, that's like a miracle in itself. Oh, yeah. That, that, that this book, this new book, this blockbuster book by Steve Meyer, The Return of the God Hypothesis, that he would even dare to pick it up. That's very dangerous reading for him. Oh, it absolutely is. And it's also evidence of the people he must be spending time around because nobody in the atheistic community is going to recommend this thing. They're probably trying to hide it under their pillow <laughs> uh, so, no, so nobody knows it exists. But, but uh, Jordan Peterson was so impacted by this book Now, let me just read two quick quotes. He says, without functional criteria to guide a search through the vast space of possible sequences, random variation is probabilistically doomed. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he's using your language now with the Titanic. uh, Yeah, well, I I think if if I, I saw really quickly a reference to this breakthrough, I was excited that you brought it out because what I think what what Peterson has done is he's actually brought out the actual words of Steve Meyer and he's put them up like in a headline format for everybody to see. And, and, and that mm-hmm. work of probabilistically doomed is also, it's related to the work of our own friend who's been on our program also, Doug Axe. Isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And he actually goes on to say uh, that Stephen Meyer makes the case very carefully. And he says, it's not often that I encounter a book that contains so much that I did not know. Wow. And this is coming from, an, in my opinion, one of the intelli- most intelligent people I've listened to from this past century. That um, is amazing. That, it is, uh, and it's encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about an encouraging shock, you know. And so I think that's one of the most uh, uh, really genuinely jarring things, you know, and, and, and something that encourages us, of course, totally. And it just would be unsettling, to put it mildly, for anybody on the other side of the equation and if I can just bring out, well, okay, I guess it's my turn. If I can just bring out um, just the, the kind of the, we're on, the, on the, the cusp of the publication of the most powerful single book ever written on the story of the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And it's coming out, I don't know exactly what the publication date is, but Gary Habermas of Liberty University. You and I have, have had him on the program. He's, he's uh, spoken here for the C.S. Lewis Society. And, and I think you've actually read maybe some of Habermas's uh, book, like this, his book on the resurrection, the short book. Yeah, I have a couple of his books. And um, yeah, I would say that he is among probably the top three authorities in the world, if not the authority on the resurrection in, in research of it. Exactly. And, and of course, he, he worked with Michael Lacona, in uh, a number of projects, uh, of course, sort of, um, you might add William Lane Craig and uh, a couple other British authors have had very important uh, works come out on the resurrection. But Habermas has devoted his entire life to explicating and, and really detailing the evidence for the res- resurrection, especially the using the only the minimal facts that are known to all scholars. In other words, the minimal facts that even the atheist and agnostic scholars who who don't embrace Christian faith, even they 
would say, okay, this is genuine. This is really from the first century and very early. For example, the book of 1 Corinthians. And so when if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, what do you have? You have a data list. A scientist would describe it as a list of your observations and data from some experiment. And what that is, the, the actual list of the eyewitnesses of Jesus is put there with confirmation by Paul that he has checked this out the best he could. And of course, his own encounter with, with the risen Jesus is, is there at the end of that list. He kind of tacked that on and said, mm -hmm. let me just include myself as those who've seen Jesus alive. Well, I mean, that was his life's work, but now he is magnum opus, <clears throat> is nearing publication. And I will give the publication date as soon as it's announced. But this book is going to be a little bit longer. It's not going to be 300 or 400 pages. Looks like it's going to top 5,000 pages. Wow. And it's basically a systematic summary of all of the evidence in case you want to take time to read it. Mm -hmm. I might just have that as a, what do they call it? A door stop, you know, to keep my cord <laughs> from flying back and forth uh, as, as students come, come whizzing through the, the hallways of Trinity College. But seriously, I think that God is doing something amazing in our day. And we're, we're reading about more and more scholars who are reinvestigating. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like, at, uh, Lord willing, at Princeton University, something may happen just this year, this coming year, to highlight the evidence uh, for Christ and for Christianity right on the campus where the C.S. Lewis Society was born. And so we're excited about that. And I, let me just go ahead and just yield to you any time that's remaining is yours to either share another breakthrough or to just encourage people that they're, that we're on the pathway of truth. Okay. Uh, I mean, we have about two minutes left, but I, I was just going to say, number one, I just wanted to encourage people to have conversations uh, with other people, uh, whether they're believers or, or in terms of apologetics, especially non-believers, mm -hmm. um, to just get out there and do it. Because I think a lot of the time people are afraid they, they're going to say the wrong thing. They're not going to have the answers. Um, and at the end of the day, none of us have all the answers. And so just get out there and have the conversation. Don't be afraid to tell somebody, well, let me look into that thing. But what do you think about this? Um, just don't be afraid to go out and share the gospel and be willing to defend. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the verse that we take the word apologia from, from 1 Peter 3.15, it tells us that we're defending the reason we believe, the reason for our faith. Um, and so to get out there and have a conversation and, and just don't be afraid to actually embrace somebody to don't be afraid to maybe be wrong sometimes. But ultimately, um, I think it was maybe Vince Vitale who said this, it was somebody, but he said, if, if the answer to every question is something true, then all questions ultimately lead to God um, wow. because God is the truth. So it, at some point, every question has a road that leads to God if, it, because the answer ultimately has to be true. Um, and oftentimes we're dealing with people <clears throat> who have a lot of inconsistencies in their worldview. Um, for example, this intelligent design stuff that's out is incredible. And I would point out to an atheist, if, if you have an atheist friend or an atheist family member, that you know, you're, you're having to borrow from Christianity to even say, show me the evidence, because you believe in a universe with no order, with no structure, that's completely random. And to say that, that, that our thinking is even reliable. And to say that we could even use logic and reason is something that really you'd have to borrow from the Christian worldview. Um, and so these are just things to think about while we're having these discussions, but don't be so quick to take everything at face value that somebody says, because sometimes there's a, a deeper meaning behind it. 
Um, and anyway, it's so exciting to have you back here, Dr. Woodward, on the Universe Next Door. I can tell you were rejuvenated after your your sabbatical. Um, so yeah. it, it is just wonderful to have you back, and I'm excited to continue this this podcast slash radio show. And if anyone listening has any questions, just send us an email at information at apologetics.org and a real human being will respond to you. Uh, So thank you for listening and we'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.